I, I remember sending him a contract for the table, um, you know, with a deposit, terms, delivery, um, lead time. And he had emailed me back about 10 minutes later and kind of questioned me and said, why is this contract so specific uh, when we're purchasing a dining room table from a furniture maker? That's the voice of Christopher Miano, owner of Cam Design Co. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com slash Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Chris Miano, owner of the Union City, New Jersey-based furniture company, Cam Design Co. Chris views the pieces that come out of his shop as sculptural forms rather than simply functional items. And with that view, he walks a fine line with the way he operates his business. Yes, it is a company, but it is also art. And over the years, he has found a middle path between the business and artistic worlds. I talk with Chris about how he got started in the industry, how he learned early on about the importance of contracts, how he maintains his creativity while still running a business, and much more. But before any of that, before the big projects, the employees, the years in business, Chris was just a creative child. And that's where our story starts. Growing up, I was always fascinated with, uh, you know, how things were put together. My my father was always, you know, fixing things around the house. It was very hands-on. Um, he was a New York City firefighter, so on his days off, um, I would definitely help him out uh, and just try to, you know, learn some simple tasks about, uh, you know, construction, whether that was putting an extension on the house or putting in a hardwood floor. So I was always kind of tinkering and, and uh, you know, building small like objects and stuff um, with him. And I, I remember when I was like 12 or 13, I got my first like dirt bike as a kid, like this small motorcycle. And I took the whole entire bike apart on the driveway because I was so fascinated to see, you know, how it was built and see if I could put it back together. Um, yeah, so just kind of like found a, a love for, for construction and uh, how things were made at an early age. Um, I was studying architecture and, you know, taking some classes even in high school and uh, was just always fascinated with designing and building spaces for people to interact in. Um, so I had thought that I was going to go to school for that. And I remember kind of last minute I made a really quick decision to study product design and, and industrial design to, you know, build pieces for people to interact with. Um, I feel like problem solving is a big uh, part of this industry. And, you know, I was always good at figuring out a solution for, for whatever it was that I was doing. Um, so I went to Parsons, I studied industrial design. Um, I got invited to a class in Copenhagen and studied furniture design. 
Uh, and that's what I really fell in love with, you know, building more furniture related objects. Um, after I finished my studies, I decided I was going to get a job um, in a wood shop to see if this is the place that I want to be in uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five, if I were to ever go out and, you know, do this on my own. So I'm sure some, you know, people in the industry have a similar experience where you kind of make a bit of a deal that, hey, I want to build my own pieces after hours um, just to try to continue some creative juices on my own. After about like a year, you know, of doing this a year and a half, I developed some clients on my own. I realized that there was, you know, money in the industry and, and I wanted to segue out and, uh, and take this on and do it on my own. Well, that is a great story getting into the actual business side. And I know that a lot of people have been down that road where they work at a shop and they know that they have this in them and can do it on their own and they can work towards doing it on their own while still continuing to learn the trade and continuing to learn the business at the place that they're working at. When you finally made that jump to get out on your own, what was the first big job or what was that first big push that made you think you could do this as a business for yourself? Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was a little, uh, I had cold feet at first to, to go off and do this, but, um, you know, I kind of had this, uh, project that was being discussed. They were asking for a lot of pieces from me, which I had no idea if I could even dive into marble fabrication or, or do some type of uh, brass or bronze uh, construction. But, I, you know, I kind of wanted to uh, take this on and um, see if it was something that I could produce. So um, it sounded like they had a pretty big budget and I knew that what I needed uh, right off the bat was some capital so that I can, you know, purchase some of my own tooling. When I was you know, looking through the shop, I only had uh, a couple of sanders and um, just some old tools that my dad had. Um, I realized that if I didn't land something big um, without any, you know, funding or backing, I, I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, create my own space. So um, it was a little bit of a, a learning curve for me um, because I didn't know so much about the, you know, contractual agreements and I think I was a, a kid I was pretty excited and uh, you know just started sketching out some concepts and they were really into it um, so I decided that you know I was just going to start ordering materials and once they greenlit the, the project I was just ready to go because uh, they had a big event that was coming up in three weeks and they needed you know 70 to 80 of these pieces um, um, I've always done my best work under pressure, and I thought that uh, if I could pull this off, I'd be able to figure out some other clients and just try to get the ball rolling to to open up my own studio. I mean, within a matter of days, I had to go on legal Zoom, create a name uh, for my business, and and make everything official, uh, kind of without them knowing that I wasn't uh, official. So I got everything together. Um, I lined up, you know, exactly what it was. I remember writing all of these objects down on a roll of brown craft paper, and it seemed like the list wasn't going to end. Uh, posted it up on the wall in this new shop that I just found, and 
you know, started going through it and crossing things off the list. Um, you know, my, my dad and my uncle who was in town at the time, they were, they were, uh, kind of eager to help me out. Um, and, uh, a buddy of mine, you know, after hours was helping me out at the shop too. We were there till two, four in the morning, uh, cracking out this stuff for three weeks and produced some pretty cool objects. Uh, this, this like cutting board that I did for them that I water jet cut for the first time, some cleaver handles to go on the side of it. And, um, you know, some of these like deconstructed salad platters and stuff like that. I mean, it was kind of funny to think that I, I have this like passion and love for furniture um, and I'm sitting here making uh, food objects, but you know, it was, it was a project and I needed it at the time. So um, yeah, I, I, I took it on and it was quite a buzzer beater at the, uh, you know, the delivery crew was scheduled to come and pick everything up. And I feel like I wasn't even close to done. So the last three days uh, stayed up for almost three days straight to to make sure that, you know, I was going to get everything to the client. Um, and I remember, you know, the delivery driver showed up. I kind of passed out on the floor. And when I woke up, everything was gone out of the studio. And it was a it was a cool moment to realize that that I created all of these pieces and I was gonna get paid and I was gonna be able to buy, you know, some more tooling for my shop to uh, hopefully snowball into, uh, you know, an actual business. So um, there was some, there was some, tricky business that had happened uh due to you know my lack of sending a contract to the client and i guess you know the only way to learn a lesson is to you know mess up and do something wrong so i had thought a handshake deal was enough to you know let somebody know if they needed all of these products by this this time that was allotted for the project that they were going to be willing to pay an expedited fee to do all of this um and i'll never forget when when i was going to collect payment um you know the person who owned this this establishment had said to me yeah we don't have that in writing this is business kid and uh that was a pretty harsh uh <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, it was it was a it was a good project, but I definitely learned my lesson to get my my ducks in a row and make sure I cover my bases before I take on any projects now. But that's pretty much what what uh, you know gave me some cash in my pocket to to realize that that this is a business, and and if I can get more clients and more projects, that you know I don't have to work for. 13 bucks an hour at the time, uh, sanding and, and grinding for somebody else. That was definitely a trial by fire. And you got pretty much all of the lessons a furniture maker, a furniture business owner collects over the years in, in one job, in your first job, you got the need for a contract because people don't, always respect their word. You learn the lesson of timing and the amount of stuff that you can actually do at one time. You you basically had a crash course in owning a business on that very first job. So that must have really opened your eyes, not only to 
the actual building world of furniture, but the business side of furniture as well, which if you are running a successful business is just as important as the building side. So moving forward from that, what did you learn? What was your your next job that you took on and how did you approach that client? I mean, 100%, it was definitely a rude awakening. You know, I was pretty upset, but I wasn't going to let that slow me down. So funny enough, um, you know, my next job was for um, a live edge dining room table. Somebody just bought this beautiful space in Brooklyn and really cool couple um, who really appreciated, you know, the craft of, of um, Nakashima's work and stuff like that. And, and uh, it was actually really funny because when we decided on a price for the project, I had, you know, kind of just, just dove into Google and read some, found some contracts. Uh, and I, I remember sending him a contract, um, you know, with a deposit, terms, delivery, um, lead time. And he had emailed me back about 10 minutes later. And, you know, he's, he's kind of in a bit of a legal field himself. And he, he kind of questioned me and said, why is this contract so specific uh, when we're purchasing a dining room table from a furniture maker? And I, I kind of like had laughed to myself, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, it's a little different doing doing a project for for you know a residential homeowner than a big conglomerate uh, restaurant in Manhattan. But um, you know, I, I I specified exactly what it was that I was making, what I was making it out of, um, and I just thought it was kind of a funny question for him to ask me. But I didn't go into the story of telling him what had just happened because I'm just trying to keep the ball rolling. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a rude awakening. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, it, it was also kind of enlightening to realize that, um, you know, I, I just produced all of this work. It is an interesting situation that furniture makers find themselves in because they go into the business for the most part to be creative. Not a lot of people go into the world of furniture thinking that they're going to make it rich there. You know, that that is there's there's slim margins. It's hard physical labor. There are a lot of other jobs where you can make it rich without working as hard as being a furniture maker but people want to build furniture because they have that passion for it, but it quickly becomes a business. And that story highlights it perfectly where this person who is a lawyer or has a legal background is, is saying, why, why, all, why all these contracts and, and why all this specification? And the reason is, is because if you don't, then sooner or later, you're going to get burned in some way. And you need to balance that creative side with that business side and with that legal side, because that is the core of actually running a business instead of just building furniture for yourself or your friends. Now, right. I mean, yeah, no, there, there's definitely no, um, no crash course to the business aspect of this. And I think that I was so excited to you know, start to be creative uh, on my own and produce my own work that, you know, it's a very, um, 
it's a very big part of the business um, is being able to have these conversations and be transparent about terms and pricing and, uh, you know, lead times. And I think that um, for a lot of makers out there, you know, hobbyists, people doing this in their garage, they kind of have the luxury of this online platform, whether that's like an Etsy or a custom made um, website where they're kind of protected by the terms of a platform. But when you're, when you're doing this on your own and somebody wants to buy something, you, you know, you're kind of creating your own document based on things that, you know, you read about, you download um, online from, from somebody else that you don't even know. And um, yeah, I mean, I studied, you know, product design, industrial design. It was everything about model making and, uh, you know, wood shop classes and, and renderings, but there was no class, which I, I look back on now to realize, you know, even a business 101 class to throw in there as an extra uh, credit to, um, to kind of like, I don't know what I'm trying to get to, but but I, I feel that the way that I was taught in school was not to, you know, go off, go off and do this on your own in, in a confident and comfortable uh, manner. So, yeah, um, you're what you're what you're getting into is something that I talk about a lot with a lot of furniture makers who are up and coming. And it's something it's it's the, honestly, it's the reason why I started this show is because a lot of people are not getting that business course. They're not learning how to do this. And if you're creative and if you want to build furniture, then you can figure that part out on your own, but you can't figure out the business part. You can be locked in your shop at two in the morning and figure out how to make that joint or, or figure out how to put that finish on correctly, because that's just the way your brain will work, but you can't figure out your taxes in a vacuum. You can't figure out your PL sheet. You can't figure out how to pay employees. That is all stuff that you need to learn. So that is actually a question that I was going to ask you from your earlier story, because a lot of people jump into the world of furniture and it, it's it's something that that grows like they like to build things, but they don't have a school background in it. They sort of learn on the job or, or they learn on their own. You went to school, maybe not exactly for furniture, but in that world. What do you feel like you gained from going to school for design and, and building rather than people who might have had a, had a different job and, and just decide they want to start building furniture? Um, you know, Parsons was a great school. They had a great shop. Um, and I, I, you know, always was like tinkering around. So I, I really quickly like felt, fell in love with, with the design process and iterations and renderings. Um, going to school definitely opened up kind of the creative juices of, of um, you know, what I was actually passionate about. So if anything, it, it taught me to be, um, you know, a competent, better designer um, and being able to like push the envelope and look at things in a different light. I know that you do a lot of custom work 
and you are doing a lot of solid wood, a lot of cabinet work, a lot of that kind of wood ply veneer work. But in your own line of furniture, you deal with a lot of different materials. You deal with stone, you deal with metal. And that has always been something that in my own business, I am interested in because you go into furniture making and you learn everything you can about wood. You learn species, you learn how they react differently to stains, you learn how best to sand them for the best results and and everything that you need to know about woodworking and wood. But then when you make multimedia furniture, that's getting into a whole different world where you don't know about metal and you don't know about stone and you sort of have to become like a, a, a Bo Jackson of furniture making right. <laughs> where, where, where you need to learn, you need, you need to be great at everything because you could be amazing at the wood, but if you're not great at the metal, then your pieces are going to falter. So how do you go about either learning those different trades or outsourcing or what or or even pricing how do you learn the pricing of so many different industries I, i've never been afraid to try to work with a new material or a different process I'm, I'm always so fascinated about um you know teaching myself a new um way of doing something and and that comes with um you know just jumping in the car, driving around Brooklyn, going to check out a stone yard. Um, I, you know, the way that I was taught at Parsons was very sustainably oriented. So, you know, diving through a, a dumpster and finding these beautiful slabs of marble that are just going to be thrown away um, and fascinated with different processes, whether that's water jet cutting, laser cutting, uh, you know, five axis CNCing. Um, and then just trying to do my own spin on something um, that's not been done before. Yeah, I mean, uh, you just can't be afraid to try new things. I, I know that a lot of designers, I mean, myself, I sketch all the time and I have books and books of all of these pieces that I want to bring to life. But, you know, sometimes getting back into the business aspect of it, um, sometimes the custom world of furniture design is you know what kind of keeps the lights on at the end of the day so um, i'm really trying to figure out a way to not necessarily segue out of the custom world but start to produce some of my own work so um, i've been working with uh, a lot of different ways to try to create these cylindrical um, pieces for a mirror or a chair that i'm working on and it's just kind of funny to, you know, I'm pretty tactile. When I see something that I like, whether it's a chair or a table, I'm like constantly looking underneath it, seeing how it's put together. Um, and I want to just continue to create pieces that kind of have this uh, surprise element to it, or that shouldn't really be done that way, or, you know, how the hell did you do that? So, um, that's even going into like the patina. I didn't know anything about, you know, bronze or brass or copper patina. Um, you can learn a lot on YouTube, but I find the best way to do it is just to try it yourself and trial and error. Um, 
and not be afraid to, you know, experiment. Now, when you're working in so many different materials, talk about your pricing for a custom job where you're coming in with a wood table and there's also marble and there's, you know, another type of stone and, and there's metal. It must get a little confusing drawing from so many different outlets. So what is your pricing structure for custom work? So my pricing structure, um, I've always set the bar pretty high for my prices. I've always stuck to, you know, somewhat of a, of a higher end um, price structure. It's a little bit tricky in this day and age with everything, you know, skyrocketing and going through the roof to um, kind of have somewhat of an algorithm or a formula to it. Um, you know, I have a pretty general pricing on a live edge table and I've kind of stuck with that um, price structure. I mean, when I was listening to your last episode, you know, one of your previous episodes, I found that to be like a really interesting, you know, times it by four uh, so that you have some cushion. But I think that um, I don't have a tremendous overhead. I don't have a 15 person crew. So, um, you know, it, it's really about developing great relationships with different suppliers and, um, I don't, I don't know if I have like the answer to that question. And that's a question that I, I try to figure out all the time. Um, you know, let's say the marble pieces, I mean, they can cost me anywhere from 2000 bucks to make a stool because of the time that goes into running the water jet, kind of honing all the stone, doing these custom roundovers. So like, that's a very niche object that I, you know, have to kind of times it by three, um, add some, some more on there for, for shipping. Um, but it's not every day that somebody's going to buy, you know, a $6,500 marble side table, uh, to, to put in the corner of their, their beautiful space, uh, to kind of like brighten it up. So, um, you know, I'd love to be able to figure out how to get that down, um, so that I could sell more pieces like that. But, you know, I could easily manufacture this overseas. Um, I love to be involved in the process and, you know, tape out exactly where I want that part to be cut out of. Um, so it's a little difficult to to figure out price structure on everything, but there needs to be some form of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I, that's, that might be the downfall here is the, the price structure. Well, I don't think it's the downfall. And obviously, as somebody who is the host of a show, (laughs) a host of a show all about the business side of furniture making, when I get an answer like that, my automatic response is to cringe a little bit and to say, oh, well, this isn't going to help. But then I think deeper on it and I realize that furniture making doesn't always need to have an exact answer. It's not a trade where you buy something from a supplier and you know exactly how much that's going to cost. And then you have an hourly rate and you, the customer knows it because they can shop pricing around 
and that's what it's going to be. And yes, you can deviate from that a little bit, but you're always going to be in that realm. With furniture, you, even with a live edge table that you said you have a pretty good idea of what that costs, that wood is natural. It's it's from a tree and that is going to vary dramatically between each project because it changes your material changes every single time and yes if you were doing something where you were making the exact same walnut desk every right. single day and that was your bread and butter you would have that pricing down but if you're doing something that's well, custom, i'd also be bored out of my mind if i was making the same desk every every day so it's it, it you know it comes into do i want to spend 90 hours with a hammer and a chisel and 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 dress up this, you know, I try to find the gnarliest pieces of walnut because I know that I want to create like more of a showpiece and have this, you know, all of this joinery flowing through in like the right position. I mean, I could spend two to three hours just figuring out where I want to place stuff. So I think it, it comes down to, you know, projects that I've done before in the past, what the client is specifically coming to me for. Um, understanding that you know this is a 15 to twenty thousand dollar table and um it's it's more of of a statement art piece than it is you know a, a dining surface so i think it's really understanding you know and educating uh the client on on um you know, what it is that, that you're making. And, and I don't, you know, punch into work and punch out of work. So I can't really, uh, you know, put an hourly rate on something. If somebody wants me to come on site for a day, like, uh, yeah, I, I can charge somebody accordingly for that. But I feel like everything that I do is always um, a little bit different. And it's, and it's, it's hard for me to put this add to cart price on anything. Um, you know, if I'm doing a bronze base, uh, material could cost seven, $1,200 for, for just the material. And then I'm bronze brazing and putting everything together. Like, I don't know. I feel like some people, you know, slap some Etsy legs on the table and, and I'm just trying to steer away from that. So I think being able to understand, you know, somewhat of a budget from a client, uh, first is a, is a great way to kind of work backwards. And, you know, if somebody uh, says X instead of Y, kind of educating and let them know that, okay, I can't buy, you know, two book match uh, 12 foot slabs of walnut. It's just not going to work, but I still am happy to build this beautiful dining room table for you. So I don't know if that's the right structure is kind of trying to figure out where a client needs to be and work backwards. But as I'm expanding and I'm getting, you know, reached out by some big um, interior design firms that are, you know, doing these $5 million, $10 million spaces, it's, it comes to, um, you know, how, how, do, how, how do I now price accordingly for this huge oak bed with a 15 foot headboard um, for the master bedroom. So, I mean, definitely understanding the material costs, but then what's gonna go into, you know, completing, delivering, installing, um, 
you could say 20, they were expecting 40. Um, so I, I'm still trying to figure that out on, on, um, I'm still trying to figure that out right now, but it really comes down to if I'm interested in taking on the project or it's something that I haven't done before and I'd love to get that final photograph to say, yes, we can do this. So it's a bit of a catch 22. Sometimes I'll give a bit of a price bit break because I want to add that piece to my portfolio and I want to teach myself a new process along the way. So, um, I don't know if that's, that's, uh, the right thing to do but for right now i mean it's it's working for me and and um i've i've taken on a lot of projects that you know i had no idea how i was going to create these pieces and staying up until two in the morning trying to deconstruct and reconstruct how things are going to go together the next day um yeah i mean do you ever do that like what is your price <laughs> what's your price structure for well, I think I think that it highlights I think what you're saying really highlights that there is no cookie cutter way to run a furniture business because like you said you would be incredibly bored batching out the exact same thing over and over and over again, but the flip side to that coin is that there are companies that are wildly successful mm-hmm. that batch out the exact same thing over and over and over again. And that is right. a furniture company. That is a type of furniture company and they're making a lot of money doing that. And then on another side, another thing you said, there are people who really found their niche and are taking pieces of wood and putting Etsy legs on it and are selling those in their market and they're being successful and making money. Right doing that. And there's also people who are really embracing the, this is an art form and are building pieces like people build sculptures or people paint paintings where there is not necessarily a, a formula because it is art. And yes, you might lose money putting more time into a piece that maybe the budget isn't sustaining, but that piece elevates you to another, another level, another client base, another museum, another type of store that in the end makes you more profitable or more successful as a business. There's not one way to do this. And there's also not one way to measure success. Yes, money is always a good one and fame is a good one, but people need different amounts of money to live their life and people have different goals for their business. People might not want to be a 40 person, 50 person, 10,000 person IKEA company. They might feel successful being a one person shop in their garage putting out a decent living and and being happy with having nights and weekends free so there is not one way to do it and and that is a a long-winded way of of saying you're not doing it wrong if you're happy with how you're doing it you just nailed it i mean 
I, I want to be happy making what I'm making. I, I, you know, started this because I don't want to work at somebody else's shop. I don't want to answer to somebody else. I, I love making pieces and objects and furniture and, and, um, yeah, I mean, definitely from a business standpoint, I mean, it, everything's working out right now. Um, I'm happy with where I'm at and the work that I'm producing. I, I, I think that, you know, some of these other pieces that I'm trying to, you know, produce and segue out of the custom world, I do have a pretty, you know, um, I have a better idea of what I want to price this mirror at, what I'm going to price this chair at, and they might be high, but you know, it takes a lot of work to, to make some of these pieces. And I think breaking into more of that sculptural aspect of furniture is the direction that I see myself going in where, you know, I, I'm going to put a high price point on this and, and it's that way because I'm, you know, taking this raw material and I'm, I'm making this piece, um, I think, uh, you know, at some point somebody's paying for the, the artistry behind, um, these pieces, although they're functional, I, I don't want to scale this up to be an Ikea thing. I, I love to, you know, have my own studio and my own creative space. Um, you know, I, I even have like two ceramic uh, like wheels at the shop that sometimes I'll just go over there and throw a pot, you know, with a, a big kiln that I that I found um, a while ago. So it is like more of this. Um, you know, it's 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 more of this big. Uh, I don't want to say like an arts and crafts studio, but but um, yeah, I, I want to be able to turn turn some things off and and look into some other options in terms of like what furniture actually is. And um, I don't know if if uh, if I ever would want to scale up and have fifteen people to you know uh, work for me or, or juggle all of that. I mean, it sounds great. Money and fame is, is great, but at the end of the day, you need to love what you're doing and, and step back and realize why you, you know, took this risk. What's some advice that you could give to people who are looking to jump into this world on their own? They're looking to make that leap and start something for themselves, or they already have a company and they're working to make that company better in, and I say better in whatever form that might be, whether it's success or money or time management. What's some advice that you could give to these people that you've learned along your journey? Well, you know, the, the first thing is it's a lot of hats to wear, whether it's, you know, actually producing the physical work and then realizing how am I going to get this work in front of the right person? And that comes with, you know, having great relationships, whether that's with a photographer or, um, you know, a, a gallery that you can show work to. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's important to not give up on what that end goal is. And I know that that sounds cliche, but it's, it's you know, kind of the truth behind um I'm, I'm pretty resilient in everything that I do. And I like to set those goals and yes, they may take a lot more time than, than I had thought, but just not giving up on, um, 
you know, what it is that you're, that you're trying to uh, complete here at the end of the day. So I think just, just not, you know, there's a lot of stress that goes into this and, and being able to just kind of keep pushing through. Um, I mean, there's so many different things. There's, there's the marketing aspect, there's emails, there's communicating with clients. I feel like it's, it's, it's a lot more uh, when you're on the inside than what it looks like from on the outside. And I'm sure you know this with, with your business, it's a lot of hats to wear. So um, you just gotta keep pushing and uh, don't give up. That's, that's kind of what I've been telling myself. Well, Chris, you wear all those hats very well. Uh, you have a great business, you make amazing furniture, and I love watching your success. So I really appreciate you sitting down with us today and sharing your story and sharing the good and bad and happy and sad of it. And thank you for your time and, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with this community. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, best of luck in the future. I thought I this was going to be like a happy, fun thing. I was like, we just went so sour. <laughs> no, I don't think I, I think just the opposite. I think that it's okay. great. It's great for people to hear. I don't think it was sour at all. I don't think we said okay. in any way, like the business is, is a bad thing to get into. I think just the opposite. Right. I think we went into the fact that there's a lot of different ways to do it. And there could be somebody sitting in their shop hearing, hearing, you know, you have to do all these P and L's and you have to do all that. And, and thinking that's not the way I want to run my business. I want to run it in a, in a, in a, in a, as an, as an artist. And as long as the end of the day, you're making money or you're sustainable as that business, then that is 100% just as valid of a way to run a business as having a factory where you're producing right. a thousand shares a day. So I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was sad at all. I, I, I think it was probably uplifting to a lot of people who run their business differently. And I, I even like this little, this little after thing. I think I'm leaving this in too. I think we're, I think we're doing the whole thing. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.